Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are talking about Coda, the uh, 2022 Best Best Picture winner. We both got freaking Apple TV Plus and watched it. We said we never would, and here we are. We both committed. Uh, Real quick on that, Andy, how's your Apple TV Plus subscription? What do you think? I didn't know it was only five bucks. Sorry, I know I, I'll get into what we're doing in this chat. I, I, I did. I did know it was only five bucks. Uh, I haven't watched anything else. Uh, it, like a lot of these services, it's like, oh, look at all this stuff. Oh, you have to rent it or get another service. Um, I have watched seven episodes of Severance in two days. You should definitely check that show out. Uh, wow. anyway, directed by Ben Stiller, it's good stuff, man. Uh, it's Walter Mitty was good stuff. This good. Anyway, uh, we're also taking a look at Memoria, uh, the new film from. Andy hit me with it. Apatatapung, we're asked the call. Thank you. Yes. Hi, uh, director. W- yeah, one wonderful director who we've never seen before. A bit of a, a traveling roadshow kind of film that we're excited to talk about. Uh, we've got to talk about some upcoming trailers, and one of us went and saw Sonic 2, find out who, halfway through the episode, <laughs> and what we thought of it. And uh, first of all, we got to get to news. First things first, uh, Nightmare Alley, black and white coming to a movie theater near you i'm very excited about this uh if you don't know uh we went and saw nightmare alley for off script uh in glorious black and white and it's visions and darkness and light uh kind of kind of premiere that ran after the movie came out and it's super good it's a Guillermo del toro movie that's in black and white and it's super good uh andy when is this hitting hulu um, on I believe it's the twenty fifth that you put me on the spot. Uh, yes, April twenty fifth. It'll be coming to uh Hulu, not theaters. Um, but yeah, this is phenomenal. This is one of those movies that you can enjoy in in either way, in color or in black and white. I saw it in color first in theater. Uh, thought it was is really cool, very striking imagery, and to see it in black and white, it's even. I, I think it's even better in black and white be, because it it looks it's shot like a movie from the forties, and the black and white makes it puts it back to that era even more so yes if you don't remember, if you don't recall nightmare alley is the story of a young mentalist played by bradley cooper uh who delves deeper into mentalism than probably he should go and ends up uh potentially hurting himself and some other people along the way came out last year and yeah like andy and i went and saw it in black and white with a buddy of ours i had never seen it and it was a bit of a monkey's paw situation because i thought Oh, it's black and white. I might not like it as much as if I saw the colored version. And then since then, like, I can't watch the colored version because it's not as good to me <laughs> as the black and white version. Uh, Del Toro says when they shot the film originally, he wanted to do it in black and white, like the 1947 feature that it is remaking. Um, they lit it like it was black and white, but ended up doing it in kind of neo-noir color, similar to how he did Shape of Water. And it works just fine. I, I watched a bit of it on HBO Max a couple weeks ago, but I'm-, I'm excited to see it in black and white. If you haven't seen it in black and white... Uh, you should check it out on Hulu because it's it's going to be neat come April twenty fifth. I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Yeah, it, so, it's yeah. good stuff. It was uh, one of uh, one of the best films uh, of last year. Guillermo del Toro had wanted to remake this property for a long time. Finally got the rights. Finally got the the cast and and studio backing and uh, made it. And unfortunately, it came out the same day as Spider Man No Way Home. Uh, but um, it's still it's still a great film. Yeah, I'm excited. I hope more people watch it. I hope I can start dropping lines from it. It's got a really great script. Uh, and, and Andy and I have already got a couple of little in-jokes about geeks and, you know, <laughs> putting <laughs> eggs and bacon. What, what is that thing? Planted eggs on me. You know, steak and nice. eggs. Steak and eggs on me. Jesus, steak and eggs. Yeah, check out Nightmare Alley when it's on Hulu in black and white on April 25th. And then uh, it'll fix next... the crime, crimes against humanity. <laughs> other than yeah. Steak and eggs. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. You don't have to be nice just because of me. Uh, our next story, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, cannot find magic with a $43 million box office. Bow? Bow, yeah, I guess bow. Uh, you know, $43 million seems pretty good when it comes to the box office lately, especially coming off a pandemic. Uh, but for a Harry Potter movie... It's not good. It's not very good at all, in fact. And this one's got a handful of issues. Uh, what do you know about this, Andy? Yeah, so the first Fantastic Beasts movie opened to an impressive $73 million and went on to make $800 million uh, globally. So it was a huge hit. And they wanted to continue. Uh, this. I mean, so this comes in at $43 million, almost half as much as that first film. And they're seeing hugely diminishing returns on this series. It's supposed to be a fine film series. Um, I think this might be the last one because they're, uh, it's just not making the kind of money it's got to make. It's a $200 million film. It needs to make four or $500 million to be profitable. Um, it's probably not going to get anywhere n- near that. Good news is we'll probably be able to see it on HBO max soon. Uh, but that series has just kind of been plagued with, you know, lots of conscious controversy and scandal between it's actor, you know, Johnny Depp, uh, Ezra Miller, um, it's founded yeah. at J.K. Rowling, even, Rowling. Um, as well as uh, production delays. Co- uh, COVID w- de- heavily delayed this film. Um, and also just kind of it not really knowing what kind of film it wants to be or, and being very re- reactive to what audiences want and or don't want. Um, so this is probably going to be the last one. And um, that's probably not a bad thing. Uh, yeah, it's a weird spot, right? Um, they're supposed to make a Fantastic Beast 4 and 5. Warner Brothers has not <laughs> issued the writing of the fourth script yet because they're not confident in it and they want to see how this one does. I'm with Andy. I don't think they make any more of these. Uh, the Wizarding World is not going away, of course. Uh, Warner Brothers has full intentions of marketing and monopolizing on these properties as soon as possible, but they're going to have to figure something out. The fact is J.K. Rowling holds the keys to the kingdom here. And she's not a very good screenwriter. And the last two films were written exclusively by her. The first one, the first Fantastic Beast movie, it had some promise. Like, it, it was a rocky start, but okay. Yeah, I, I could see where the second one could tighten this up and you could have some fun whimsy with these characters in the script. The second one was terrible. It was way worse. And, like, coming off of a rocky start did not help it at all. And it's because both those movies are written by a woman who isn't a screenwriter. I'm glad she's written some books. She's written a play, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. That's great. But, like, she needs help just to figure out what's captivating on screen because it's not the same as writing for the theater of the mind. She had some help with this movie, um, but I think it's too little too late. And like you said, uh, a couple couple scandals surrounding this one. Let's um, very, very quickly, let me roll down the list, Andy's th- <laughs> Let me know if I missed any. Uh, number one, Johnny Depp is currently in a trial with his former wife, Amber Heard. Uh, they're working that out. Number two, star Ezra Miller. Uh, well, he, uh, Johnny Depp repla- was replaced by Mads Mikkelsen in this feature because of that, because it, see, there was too much heat on him. Number two, star Ezra Miller uh, recently was arrested in Hawaii for assault. <laughs> I think those charges were dropped, but it's still pretty weird. Number three, uh, J.K. Rowling gets on Twitter and says some awful things about a lot of people uh, who, who are pretty dedicated to the Harry Potter community. So a lot of them don't want to support her financially anymore. Number four, the second movie wasn't any good. So like it's, this movie's got everything going against it like it's it, not that many people are interested in the people that are, are probably offended so man <laughs> what a problem how do andy any how do they dig well, themselves they, out from this what do you think i mean i i don't know because uh you know it's got the star wars problem where they're they've been so reactionary to what the uh fans do and say and less 
in they don't really have much of a plan and you know for instance the first film was very much a, uh, about newt's commander and like the, these fantastic beasts and uh, of the title um that has since kind of been swept aside in favor of you know connections to the uh the main harry potter franchise uh names you know dumbledore and uh, people like that. Uh, I mean, one of the Catherine Watterson's character, which I don't remember what it is, has completely been sidelined. She was sidelined in the second movie. I don't even know if she's in the third movie. Um, and she was and, an interesting and, part of the first one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it they don't really know what story they're telling, and they're just trying to guess what audiences want to see. Which it's and I don't know what you would change after the first one being so successful. Why would you change? Yeah. Um. And so. I doubt we're going to get another one of these. It would just, uh, uh, outside of just what WB needing to flex this property more. Yeah, I I'm in your boat. I think it's going to go the way of Star Wars. They're going to take a little break. Um, I think it would be smart if they had a streaming series on HBO. They've got a game coming out, Hogwarts Legacy, that I think at least some folks in the gaming world are excited about. So, like, yeah, they're not they're not going away. Warner Brothers has made it pretty clear. Like, they're hedging big bets on the Wizarding World and DC to kind of carry them forward like marvel and star wars for disney but like <laughs> they're just, they're just they're like how are they getting it so wrong like god i mean disney's not doing perfect with star wars but my god they've got the mandalorian they've got this obi-wan series coming like warner brothers just cannot get in on the action and it's a bummer because i think these are, are this and dc are two tremendously strong properties uh to be able to build some capital with so I don't know. I, there's not much more to say about it. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll we'll keep you posted if any big developments happen with Fantastic Beasts. But I would bet it will see fall off similar to Morbius. Um, I don't think a lot of people are going to continue to see it. You know, I, it'll do okay in international markets. I think it'll make its money back. But yeah, I don't, I don't see a fourth one happening. And that's um, Fantastic Beasts. Uh, Andy, any thoughts on on the moratorium for the Wizarding World series here? I mean, I, I don't see it coming back. I mean, yeah, I mean, probably at this point you got to stop with whatever this was and come up with a new idea. Like you said, maybe a plan, maybe another set of movies, maybe, uh, you know, Oh, I mean, all, all the people in the original movies are now older adults. You could write some new adventure with, uh, we got to get the gang back together or, you know, something like that. Yeah. There, there was some mention for a little while that there was some interest in rallying like the original trio back, uh, for Harry Potter and the cursed child. That's a, that's the, the, uh, Broadway play follow-up written by Rowling that's as far as I understand is pretty successful on stage uh, they wanted to there was an idea that we'd get Daniel Radcliffe and, and Emma Watson and Rupert Grint back uh, to play the original kids in that follow-up play movie movie of the play um, I think all of them have made it clear they want nothing to do with the series <laughs> because not only did they make a bajillion dollars off it but they'll be tied to it for the rest of their lives and they're like no you know they went did the, 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 the renewal on HBO I think you'd have to hit them with some big numbers to get them to come back uh, you know maybe though hey they, they got the money they got the capital Warner Brothers could do it you know yeah, yeah. Um, but also those actors have also just they've moved on to lots of other things they're all successful actors in their own Things moved on from Harry Potter. They they don't need it if they don't right. want to do it. Like I, I don't. Yeah, but uh, God, I don't know. I don't know how Warner Brothers sets this up. It just seems like a an ongoing disaster. And speaking of disasters, we should start talk about our first film of the episode. Uh, I'm gonna be taking the summary on this, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Coda. You're the girl with the deaf family. Yeah. yeah. I just wanna tell you right now. And you sing. Something's got a hold. 
So CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults, uh, which is the, the uh, acronym name of our film as featured on Apple TV+. Plus. It is the story of Ruby, who is the only hearing person in her deaf family. Uh, her family is a group of fishers working just off the coast, uh, and she's the only translator they have. She can hear, and none of them can. Her brother can't, who's a few years older than her. Her dad can't. Her mom can't. Just, just the four of them. And they get along pretty well. But Ruby has aspirations to be a singer, and she's actually pretty good so when she tries out for the local choir at school she, she i guess enro enrolls in choir uh her teacher discovers she's got a bit of a talent and wants to teach her and kind of encourage that and, and really help her grow but meanwhile she's got a family who literally can't hear any of that gift um it's a really interesting idea on its face uh, the movie actually is so intriguing that it won best picture this year at the academy awards andy and i both pitched for apple tv plus so we could check it out and we're excited to talk about it here on the show and uh, the movie is coda andy what'd you think so this movie starts off kind of weak it has very much like a hallmark setup of like oh no the fishing the family fishing business is in trouble what will we do and, you know, there's like high school drama of like, oh, I'm the weird kid whose parents are deaf and people kind of make fun of me. And uh, there's a boy I like, but he doesn't know who I am. And it's, you know, it it's kind of eye rolling in it in its setup. Um, also, like as someone who, who did go to music school, like you don't just like decide your last semester like, oh, I might go to music school. Um, it's usually like a lifelong pursuit that, that people have been doing a long time. And you also you, you you learn to sing like classical music. You don't like learn pop songs like you do. Also, the music teacher has like the most expensive house I've ever seen a music teacher at. Um, so it, it doesn't have a, a great setup, but I think it does have a very strong third act. And I think it by the end, it has a lot to say, not just about people who are deaf, but how we interact with people with disabilities, P particularly the, the kind of family conflicts are what work best about this film. Everything outside of that, I, I think, is a little bit hard to stomach or hard to believe. Um, but but the the conflicts of you know this family these parents really depend on on their daughter maybe a little bit too much. Uh, the older brother kind of feels like he's a little useless or, or not utilized because he's like he's the old like he's older but he he can't hear so he, he you know it's he's got strong feelings about that and also the way the community interacts with them. Um, that stuff works works really well, but a lot of like the the setup is, is like I said, I was kind of eye rolling. It reminds me of a movie that was written in reverse, where like they had the ending in mind, or they had or like here are some great scenes, and then like when they had to write the filler to connect it all together, that's what's kind of weak. You know, people said the same thing about Tenet. That Tenet is just like what do you call it? That one big climactic end scene with the double timelines running into each other, and the rest of the movie is just trappings to get you to that cool scene. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean a movie is bad. I think you can build a lot out of a simple idea. And, 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 and on its face, Coda totally does that. The problem is, like, it is a perfectly mid-film. It is, it is so perfectly B+. <laughs> it is so, so perfectly, like, acceptable grade material. Like, it's fine. A- minus even. I don't think this is the best picture of the year. I really don't. I, I, and maybe I, I shouldn't have expected that going in, but my friend, when you take a film that is mid and you wrap it in best picture wrapping, I have to look at it that way. I have to look at it as, Hey, 
this beat out everything like this this is supposed to be the thing and it's so not it, it's a clever reminder that the academy doesn't seem to know the difference between best picture and best screenplay or best adapted screenplay which in this case it won coda won best adapted screenplay and best picture it should have won one of those awards and that's screenplay because the writing i think is kind of interesting the cinematography is so mid. It's so mid. The lighting's mid. The editing's mid. The directing's like the acting the is p- mid. The casting is mid. Like nothing <laughs> about it is great. It's all just good. And like that's not yeah. good enough for me. Uh, and I and I I was disappointed by that. But I do want to talk about what what works in the movie because it's not all bad. It's yeah. The, well, there's there's a lot of reason. And one thing I I read an interview with uh, Academy members, and one of the things they said they didn't vote for Power of the Dog because they they wanted to to pick a film that would resonate with audiences or that would be more accessible and like power of the dog is not that. Uh, so it's, it's weird what's kind of thinking in their mind, but, but I agree that like one of the things that I don't like about this is that um, it's like a TV movie made it really is. well, like there, but, but there's nothing particularly artistic in, in like you said, in the, the cinematography, you don't have like incredible sh- shots or camera work or editing or any of that it's just, i mean it's like you like i said it's like a, a episode of a drama on on tv but then you know, when i think when i think of things like like nightmare alley or west side story or dune like these are incredible feats uh, of cinema and this is a 10 million dollar film and you know a 10 million dollar film will never compete against a 100 million dollar film but uh man yeah like i i think if you if you put this movie on a bigger budget like a 30 million dollar version of this would probably be really good uh, something yeah, like that, but uh, yeah, um, I but I agree. Go, go, go ahead. No, I I I'm in, in full agreement. I've heard people say that this is like a Hallmark movie, and it's not just because of the script. Because in that way, it is. Uh, the A plot of Coda is a young girl in high school has a voice, but she's too nervous to actually belt it out and sing it. And then her teacher encourages her to, and she overcomes it. And then at the end, she has a big finale where she sings and impresses people. Like it is the most Disney Channel. Like generic <laughs> totally. kid, kid gloves plot. The B plot is her family is deaf. The movie present it's called Coda. It presents as if the A plot would be the family is deaf, and that's like the brunt of the problem. It isn't. I'd say forty percent of this film is shot at high school or in music lessons. Like very little of it is actually the deaf family, and that's frustrating to me because because i mean i'm not look i'm not i'm not deaf but i'm gonna be honest i'm a little hard of hearing and like when i watched sound of metal last year i didn't like it because it hit too close to home i was like this makes me uncomfortable like as somebody who's (laughs) losing their hearing this sucks because i i can feel this and like i really feel it in here man like i i can i can relate to the feeling of this but coda isn't that way our deaf family is entirely translated by our main character. We, all of their expression, all right, all, all of them, their ability to express themselves as characters is translated through our lead, which means our lead is our conduit for everything. Sound of Metal doesn't give our lead th- that, that luxury. Like, every, every deaf character expresses themselves, and they have, he has to learn to find himself in that, right? Like, and Coda doesn't do that. Like, Coda is just... It's yeah. <laughs> like it's it's not that good. And that's the script. Like that should be the best part. That one is that one an Oscar. Like that that should be the thing that works the best. I think from there it just I, don't I know, almost feel like the I almost feel like the academy is like it's like a competition of how, what's the smallest film we can like uplift. You yeah. know, um even thinking to last year's Nomadland. And when you think back to like, you know, 20 years ago when it was things like Titanic, Saving Private Ryan, 
gladiator, like these big epic films. And like, we've come away from that, but this is almost at the other end. Uh, we have to, there are three, three deaf actors in this, which is a first. And I think that that is a big reason why this film has been elevated by the Academy um, which I don't, which I don't think is a bad thing, but also it's fundamentally the wrong reason to raise up like something is because of yeah. people's ability. Like, I don't know. Well, and also uh, the academy and a lot of organizations like to do this thing. Like they'll raise up a film like this, and oh look, it has three deaf actors. But then, how many of people with disabilities are you then practically hiring into your everyday films? Like, are you actually getting more representation from from those kind of? areas of people that don't get to get as many opportunities yeah like i don't mean to say this is like the diversity winner but like honestly watching it it, it there there isn't a lot here that's impressive like and when you look at the list of best picture nominees for last year i'm looking at them right now like this i'm sorry this isn't the top like it, yeah it, it's hard it's hard not to feel like how what what andy's saying is true like they, this got this this gets got in because of its representation of people who are disabled and that's fine, but like it doesn't even do that that well. The acting's okay. Uh, we've got Amelia Jones as Ruby Rossi, our lead, and then our three deaf family members, Marley Matlin, Troy Kotzer, and Daniel Durant. And it's worth mentioning Troy Kotzer won Best Supporting Actor uh, this year at the Academy Awards as well for his role as Frank Rossi, the father. Um, the three of them are nice. They're, like they're, they're funny and they feel very genuine, and it does add a layer to the film feeling like they're so honest Mar marley matlin in particular like really stood out as the mom to me i know she didn't win mm -hmm. best supporting actress like like trokutzer did but there's something about her like she just feels really heartfelt and really sincere and like that's not easy for somebody who doesn't do a whole lot of acting to break out and do and additionally what is the name of the teacher also i say a lot of acting she's done 68 productions before this so i should not actually I should well. clarify she has done some <laughs> acting the name of the teacher is oh my god i can't find him eugene John no, he oh, was in okay. that. He was in the. He was in that movie with Anna Faris called. Oh, he was in the Overboard remake. He was the rich guy Anna Faris is hitting on in the Overboard remake. That that's where I knew him from. I was like, I know I've seen him and stuff, and he's pretty good as the music teacher. He feels pretty genuine, but otherwise, like that's a pretty small cast and a pretty small budget. I'm not saying magic can't happen there, and they do their best and they do a good job, but um, I, I think I think the writing and the cast is as good as it gets. Next up, I'm gonna. I mean, if you're if you're gonna have bad. yeah, if you're gonna have a film that small, it better be really knocking it out out of the park. Um, and it, and like we said, it's it's okay. And and I I keep going back to this, but Sound of Metal I think is a much better version of this kind of movie because it's about someone losing their hearing and someone entering the realm of the deaf community. And there's I mean, there's a lot of deaf actors in that movie as well. And it's it it's so much about. Be someone who who is having to adjust to this condition and then accept themselves and someone who doesn't accept themselves for the longest time like it's it's a much more like mature and complex journey uh than yeah. this yes sound of metal hand handled handled death better uh baby driver handled death better drive my car Another Best Picture nominee this year handled death way better uh and I think it's because all of those movies like they're just I don't know. I, I feel like it's not so much in the background and, and Coda somehow like manages to sideline a lot of what's uh, a lot of what it claims to be doing on its face with our main characters like dreams and ambitions, which are great. She's 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 a fine singer, you know, but it just 
it's it's very hallmark and and the other reason it feels hallmark it's worth mentioning it's because the way it's shot this movie is all mid shots to get as much coverage as possible no close-ups no crazy dollies, no wild rack focuses, like nothing, no exciting cinematography here. Everything's like good TV coverage. Everything's soft lighting. Like you'll see in, in like a lot of people criticize a lot of Apple TV plus premieres for, um, like, it's just fine. <laughs> it's just, it's just fine. It's shot like a Hallmark movie. Like it, it feels like one. It looks like one. Um, I, I, I really cannot, I, I just, I'm baffled this one best picture. I really am. Um, that's really surprising. Yeah, I will. I will say, <laughs> not to harp on it too, but I, I, I think it is really funny. There is a lot of comedic writing, um, con, kind of constantly. I, I did think it was really funny. Then there's some laugh out loud moments, and uh, Troy Kotzer is is really good as you know a lot of the co- comedic relief. There are a couple of really touching scenes as well. Uh, there's one part that that kind of sticks out because they talk about how like her parents don't don't really support her singing because. They, it's not something they can enjoy. Um, and th- there's a scene where uh, he at, he's sitting and talking with, with is it Emily? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember her name. Uh, Ru- Ruby. Uh, Ruby Rossi. Uh, and they're talking, and he asks her to sing, and he puts his, his hand like on, on her neck and her, her chest so he can feel as he sings and he's like gets emotional. It's a very moving scene. And I was like, see, that's a scene that someone planned ahead of, that, that they yes. thought of that and then figured out how do I make a movie to get to this? Yeah. There's, there's kind of three scenes almost back to back in the third act. That one's right in the middle of them, but there's like three scenes kind of like that where the deaf family is, is experiencing the music in their own way. And all three of those are probably the best scenes in the whole movie. And it takes you an hour 45 to get to them. And yeah, it definitely feels like, like you, Man, better movies would have opened with those scenes. Like, better movies would have started there and said, hey, this is the beginning of our story, and now we're going to turn this into something larger. And and Coda, like, it's not trying to shoot for the moon, right? Like, it's trying to tell this humble story. It's trying to be the small thing. I think I think that's the reason people are so surprised when it won. Like, because it, it, never, it never sat up and said, we're one of the best pictures of the year. Like, we're one of the feel-good things. Like, it feels like it just kind of got swept up in it. And like Andy said, it, it got nominated because it's, or it won because it's, it's something that's supposed to be a little bit more accessible than, like, you know, The Power of the Dog. But I don't know. Maybe I need to watch it again. Maybe I need to look at some reviews. I, I just felt like it was, it was well, so th- there's, okay. You know? There's also other things like, you know, there's this kind of side plot of the family business is in trouble what do we do? And uh, they're like, we'll start our own business. And they just kind of started a business out of nowhere. Um, and it just kind of, kind of worked. Like I said, it's just, there seem to be no conflicts or that co- conflicts that are like, they don't really ever run into trouble. They kind of overcome everything. Like the yeah. family figures out the business. She figures out what she's doing to school. It all, the, she gets yeah. she gets with the boy she likes. The, the like dog and, comes back, and the the dad doesn't lose his job after all, and it's all one big happy. Like yeah, it's like a sitcom. Like it's just, I need some conflict. I need some meat on those bones. All right, like I I need I need somebody <laughs> off in somebody else, or like I need I need something crazy going on in my movie. And like I, I don't know, I I, I I'm just I'm just bummed. I, I I see best picture of the year. I think this is going to be something really special, and it's so not special. Like it's it's so okay. Um, 
and that's not a great way to look at the movie because that's not what it was ever supposed to be. So as 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 a as a film, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be one of those best picture winners you forget about. And then a few years you look back and go, oh, yeah, that was the year Coda one for some reason. Great. You know, and that's yeah, that's okay, like but... that. That 2021 will always be Dune for me. Yeah. Green Knight, you know, like yes. that's when those films came out. It'll, yeah, it'll be the stuff that really, I mean, the, yeah, even Spielberg's like West Side Story remake, like stuff that, Nightmare Alley, stuff that jumped out to me like in a way that was a lot more interesting and, and it kind of makes you turn over in your head. Like you get to the end of two hours of Cody, you go, oh, that was neat. And then you go to sleep and you never think about it again. And like, I, li- I literally watched it with my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, definitely good parent watch. And with that, we should probably get into recommendations. Andy, would you recommend Coda? I mean, I guess. Like, I mean, I guess. It's. I mean, it's. I have a hard time not recommending because it's a. It's a best picture winner, um. And like I said, it it has a lot of deaf representation, which is important. It it's a very accessible, very happy kind of sappy family film. Watch with their parents. If you're wanting more, if you are an advocate of bold cinema, um, maybe wait or maybe pass it's definitely not a must watch um like it, it's all right it's all right it's okay um if it just happens to be on and you catch it sure but i it's not anything i would tell people to like seek out like you gotta say like i've been telling everyone to go see uh everything everywhere all at once like i've been saying just praising that movie and it's like this mm-hmm. is unlike anything i've ever seen it's an incredible movie go see it go see it go see it that's not how i feel about this at all no yeah I, i'm in the same boat like pass I, I would say if you wanted to watch a movie, if you wanted to make the case that this movie is like good at handling representation, I would recommend three films over this one. And in, in, in this order, it would be, God, I say this order like I've got it all together. I, it would be Drive My Car, it'd be Sound of Metal, and it would be Baby Driver. And then I'd say, okay, this is fourth on the list. Like if you want to talk about representation and like representing that in a way that feels like authentic and true to the human experience, I'd put it there because this one just isn't it. It's sappy. It's overblown. <laughs> It's derivative. I, I, Coda's okay. <laughs> yeah. And if you have, if you have Apple TV Plus, check it out with your folks because they'll, they'll probably think it's okay too. Like it's, it's fine. It's a fine and th- movie. That's definitely what I did. I was like, because I was yeah. visiting my mom and I was like, okay, let me see, think of something that we can watch together that, that she'll enjoy. So we watched sure. this and we did watch West Side Story. West Side, hey, what'd she think? No, she she thought it was great, which is another comparison. Like West Side Story is also something that that's I think is more audience friendly, more accessible, much more mainstream, and it's like that's an example of doing something that's audience friendly, but that's really great cinema. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and that's Coda. I, I I wish I I wish I had more glowing things to say about it. Like I said, I I don't think I'd be so harsh on it if it wasn't supposed to be the best picture of the year. But here we are. And uh, I'll probably cool off from here on out because that was the one thing I was really sore about. Uh, with that, we should move into our middle segment. Uh, Andy, what do we call this bit? It's time for the trailer park. So uh, this week, not many trailers, but I got another movie I want to talk about uh, before we get to Memorias. We'll jump into it. Uh, Andy, you want to take the first one or the second one? Uh, I'll, I'll take a crack at the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we saw just, I think it was just yesterday, a trailer for a film called Crimes of the Future, which is a new David Cronenberg, uh, who has famously done things like The Fly, History of Violence, um, Videodrome. Video, Videodrome. 
very w- much known for his his kind of squishy <laughs> cinema body horror and, baby god yeah. nobody does it like cronenberg yes exactly and uh so the the teaser is, is a, it doesn't give much away but we see Vigo Mortensen and also stars uh, Leo Sedu and uh Kristen, Kristen Stewart. Stewart yes Stewart who are uh all we know is that we see like surgery being performed on them and fr- from what we get from the tagline is, oh, I'll just read it, a deep dive into the not-so-distant future in which humankind is learning to adapt to its synthetic surrounding. This evolution moves humans beyond their natural state and into a metamorphosis which alters their biological makeup. So that's an interesting, you know, becoming more accelerating evolution to adapt to some sort of mysterious surroundings. And, the, like, the trailer has lots of, like, surgical procedures going on, and it's like, it'll make you squirm a little bit, but uh, it looks fascinating. I can't wait. Yeah, it looks like they're all hanging out in H.R. Geiger painting. Like, everything's black and covered in slime. <laughs> and then there's, like, half-naked Vigo Mortensen with a needle going into his abdomen. You're like, oh, God, what is this? I'm very excited to see Crimes of the Future. Uh, David Cronenberg has not made a good movie in a while. Uh, he, in fact, just kind of stopped making movies in 2014. Um, but he'd done some work with Vigo Mortensen leading up to that, so I'm excited to see him get back into it. Leia Sadu's great. Kristen Stewart's great. Uh, and man, like the master body horror returns. I, I I can I hope this is because of his son Brandon Cronenberg making Possessor last year, because that was very much like his dad's old movies, like kind of low budget sci-fi body horror. And then suddenly out of nowhere, we have a new David Cronenberg feature. And I I, I hope his kid kind of kicked him a little bit like, hey, man, you should hop <laughs> back on the horse here and show, show the world how it's done. I hope it's good. Uh, like I said, his, his, his more recent filmography has not been that well received, so it might be lame. But like initial initial viewing impressions of the trailer seem seem strong. And I don't know more about it. I, I was standing in line at Texas Theater getting, getting our tickets from Memoria and... The guy behind me was like, oh, man, what's that movie Crimes of the Future about? And his buddy was like, oh, dude, it's about. And I was like, fingers in my ears. Like, I don't want to know. I, I just, yeah, I'll take the IMDb thing, the summary and the the trailer. That's it. That's all I want to know going in. The less I know, the better. So uh, keep it here on Offscript for more from Crimes of the Future. Uh, our other trailer is Thor Love and Thunder. So Thor Love and Thunder is the new uh, Thor film, the fourth, I think. In the Thor franchise, right? Uh, not including Avengers or Captain America or Guardians or anything else he's shown up in. Uh, Chris Hemsworth returns as Thor, the Asgardian god of thunder and lightning. Uh, but he is a different man, and he's traveling across the universe with the Guardians of the Galaxies, and he's decided he doesn't want to be Thor anymore. He doesn't want to be a god. He wants to be something more. Uh, so he puts down the hammer, and it gets picked up by his old girlfriend, Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman. And we have a very exciting trailer for a film directed by Taika Waititi that I... I'm a little excited to see. Andy, what do you think of Thor Love and Thunder? I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, well, not real sure where the film is supposed to go other than Jane Foster will become the mighty Thor. Um, and for those who don't know, when someone takes up the hammer, they just become Thor. They get that name. The the you know She's not she Thor or Lady Thor. Right. She's just Thor. Um, when uh, when it, Captain America smacks Thanos at the end of Infinity War and he's got the hammer, just for a second, God of Thunder. But then he sets it down. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, I, technically for a moment, right? Like he's, he's got it. He's fundamentally for, for yeah, like so, a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the big reveal that we all know is coming. We'll see what that kind of has to do. But we find Thor uh, kind of at a loss of what to do. You know, he's feels like his superhero days are over. He's kind, kind of going to go on a, a yet another journey of self-discovery. We don't really see a whole lot 
in this trailer, we, we do see some uh, familiar faces. Korg shows back up. Uh, Valkyrie. Um, we have yet to see the villain, who's going to be played by Christian Bale, a uh, person named Gore the God Butcher. I think it's Gore. Gore, Gore the yeah, God Gore. Butcher. Um, so that should that should be interesting. I'll, I I was hoping to kind of see a little bit more, but you know, Doctor Strange is coming out just around the corner, so we'll probably get another full trailer sometime in June. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a tease for now, but I'm excited to see what's coming next. Uh, Jane Foster, I did see in a bit of video game news, Jane Foster is being added to Marvel's Avengers, the video game, as a Thor character. So, like, they announced that today. Like, hey, it's happening. We're, we're sliding her in. And uh, no Christian Bale in the teaser. Um, God, I you know, I in a way, I hope it's totally, like, washed up just getting the paycheck christian bale and i hope he i hope he's just chewing scenery the whole movie because i'm yeah, there's no way he's going to be in any more movies ever he's one-off he's a, he's a one-off for sure like like kate blanchett and thor 2 like there's no way yeah, yeah. thor 3 thor 3 yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's no way he two, comes back two so. in the, the scenery yeah whatever whatever christian bale's doing i hope he i hope he's get, i hope he's getting that paycheck by god uh and that's what we got for trailers not a lot but uh since we relied on news and trailers i do want to take a minute to talk about sonic 2 uh, I went and saw Sonic 2. Andy did not have a chance to see it. Uh, normally, I'd have a whole review thing for this, but I'm going to be honest. It's, you know, just kind of a mini review. So here's here's my mini review of Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Uh, so Sonic 2 picks up pretty much right after the events of the first one. Uh, Dr. Robotnik is still trapped on his mushroom planet from the end of Sonic 1. And uh, upon seeing a portal open uh, to a new world, he manages to team up with a, a, a red echidna named Knuckles to travel to Earth and defeat the blue menace hedgehog named Sonic and his new sidekick, Tails. Uh, it is very much like the video games. You're chasing, you got Sonic chasing after a giant emerald that's going to save the universe, and there's a hidden underwater like layer and and james marsden is in it for a minute he's kind of sidelined in this one but i think that's okay uh ultimately you have a fun two-hour romp with jim carrey as eggman running around with a bunch of cgi animals uh and that's sonic 2 uh, normally here i'd ask what andy thought andy you didn't see it <laughs> so uh as far as my kind of general impressions go it's not bad uh it, it it passes the six laugh test it actually got a, it got more than six laughs out of me so i'd say i'd say it's a fair uh animated comedy and though i'm not a big sonic fan there were a lot of sonic easter eggs and imagery and things from the games that like i i, I at least in passing through playing a lot of video games like have, have have become aware of uh tons of sonic stuff i feel like if you were a sega fan my god this one has more this one's more like a video game movie than the first one and it's funny it's got some funny problems with pacing uh, i think introducing uh miles tails prowler and knuckles the echidna as two new characters uh, as well as trying to juggle like what James Marsden and his wife are doing in this, they, they go to Hawaii. There's a whole vacation thing. There's a whole B plot for there. Um, it ends up being a lot, and the movie clocks in at just like two hours, and it's just a little long. The first hour is good. Second hour starts to drag. Yeah. Uh, but before you know it, a kids' yeah. movie should never be that long. No, yeah, it's it it definitely it definitely starts to wear on you uh, by the end. Uh, but it kind of it comes back around in the third act. You know, turns into a bit of a CGI fest. But what do you expect? Our characters, you know, our, our main cast is mostly CGI. Uh, ultimately, not too bad. Decent voice acting. Idris Elba is kind of doing this whole Knuckles the Echidna thing, and I think he's supposed to be getting 
like a limited a series, series or, or yeah 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 uh or something out of it which i think will work like his, his character's pretty charming um, how was he yeah that's what i was interested how, how was he how was idris elba he's not bad he's definitely doing a bit of a a bit of a character it's not just idris elba reading he's kind of got this like it's it's uh it reminds me of like big dave batista doing drax like he's kind of dumb and he kind of speaks and like chunked up bits but like i think knuckles was always supposed to be a bit of a meathead right like that's his that's his whole character he punches stuff um so it works uh and he talks about at one point there's like an echidna tribe he came from so he's got a bit of a it's almost like he's speaking with a bit of an accent not like an english accent but like something it kind of rolls his r's in a, in a funny way sometimes but it works like it's fine and and by the end of the movie you know he he, he comes around and, and and sonic and tails and knuckles all you know team up and do that I, I don't know spoilers but it's a kids movie and if you played sonic you know how this works right they're all friends like they're at <laughs> they seem like they're, they seem like they don't like each other and they all come spoilers. around yeah right spoilers uh, uh so how, Car- how, yeah how did it how did it compare like um action like action wise compared to the first is action about so, the same better is there more some more action like they, they so so they send james marsden off pretty quick on on a hawaii vacation and it's funny because it's like 20 minutes in the movie and him and his wife like have their Hawaiian stuff on. They're like, "All right, Sonic, let's do it." And Sonic opens up a little portal for him, and I thought, "Oh God, this is what's happening to their character. They're just getting written out of the rest of the movie. They'll just show up at the end, like, what happened? You know, like, what? Yeah. Why? Why is the city destroyed? Like, uh, uh, but they do actually get more play. Believe it or not, um, I thought that was going to be it. We weren't going to see him again. And then halfway through the movie, Sonic FaceTimes James Marsden on his iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> both very explicitly using iPhones uh, and and uh, then they have a whole thing and they come back in. So so they, they do get a bit more play than I think in the first movie, like but only just it, it honestly is way more focus on CGI animals and Jim Carrey, which is probably what it should be. Like those are fundamentally the things that are going to work the best in the movie, right? Like the main characters who the kids all love and Jim Carrey doing the Jim Carrey thing. And he's pretty good. I, I think i liked him more than i did in the first one he's got somehow more cringe lines but it's genuinely just a longer script and there's way more of him in it the movie opens with like a four minute scene of him running around doing stuff so yeah uh, is he is they he give him more, a lot of room to, to choose is he more over the top in this one than the first one now having become dr robotnik with full-fledged mustache and everything I think I think so. You know, Jay, Jim Carrey's getting older, uh, like like as we all are. But like, I I'm reminded of this quote from him, like looking back on his career about halfway through what he was, you know, really af- halfway after he'd really taken off doing like Cable Guy and stuff. And he said at one point, he said, you know, the the way I wanted to break out, the way I thought maybe I'll have a chance to to make it as an actor, and and, and the way I la- he landed his role on In Living Color that led to other stuff. He said he just was trying to be the most energy possible, right? Like 150 miles an hour at the screen, and it works. Like you can watch Ace Ventura, and like sure, he is so bombastic on the, like he's he just can't you can't look away. Like he's he's 100 percent energy all the time, shouting at stuff, moving really fast, like jerking his arms around. Um, and so he tries to do that in these movies, but he's just older and he just doesn't quite have the energy. And so sometimes he'll do a line read and I'll go, that was like 80% Jim Carrey. And that was like 70%. Like he just can't quite get up to where 
he used to be, but it's still really charming to see, right? Like every few years, it feels like you get a Jim Carrey vehicle, whether that be like Yes Man or Mr. Popper's Penguins, right? Or or Bruce Almighty. And this is those movies now. Like the Son Sonic 1 and 2 are like the most recent Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey movies. And for what those are, it's pretty good. Like I think if you're an adult, you'd enjoy watching these just fine, although you would definitely be on your phone like an hour or two. Like it really starts to, <laughs> it really starts starts to, drag. to drag. That first hour's good. Yeah, like pacing's good, moves just fine then it really it really hits you but like come act three you're back around i think the kids are gonna love it like sonic 2 solid entry and, and i think proof positive that like video game movies can work and that you can even have sequels to them and they work just fine too like the, there will be a third sonic movie i think they already confirmed i think that'll probably do fine too like that there's no no ill will on this one i don't think i think it's a, a fine fine entry if you like sonic one i think you'll like sonic two yeah i saw uh, an article that that Something saying something to the effect that that Sonic had like unlocked whatever the video yeah. game adaptation riddle was and was doing really well and was getting critical acclaim and yeah yeah like I said I'm 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 genuinely surprised at how many elements from the video games are present here like it's constant and like it's weird that it totally works it doesn't feel that out of place because they managed to build this world that's like just close enough to reality. But has these bends of the video game, like like the town Sonic and James Marsden lived in, lives in, is called Green Hills, which is like Green Hills of the first game, or the coffee shop that, that's really like a front for for Doctor Robotnik's evil lair is called Mean Bean Coffee, which is like one of the games Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, like just little stuff like that totally works like over time and you fall into it in the world of the movie. And before you know it, you're watching a video game movie. Everything they're talking about is video game stuff. Um, yeah. Sonic, any, any, like, the, yeah. Those writers managed to crack the code. I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Any Sonic spinball references? I don't think so. I'm not a big Sonic. I'm, there's probably a Sonic CD reference in there somewhere. Like I, I couldn't tell you, but um, it was tons a pinball of, tons game of Easter eggs. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm probably, there's probably one in there. Some, at one point I noticed there's a convenience store, like when the, t in the third act, when the town is getting demolished, just like in the first movie. And they're like, we got to save the day. Like at one point, James Marsden's talking and over his shoulder is a convenience store, some weird name. And I was like, I don't know what Easter egg that is, but that's something, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's chock full of them. Like if you're, if you're a Sonic fan, this is dude, you could not do better than Sonic one and two. Like they, they really have done something special with the movies and and that's it. Anyway, I didn't mean for this review to be as long as it is because <laughs> Andy didn't see it, but I appreciate you playing ball with me. Overall, yeah, I'd recommend it. Like, it's fine. If you if you like Sonic 1, you're going to like for this the kids, one. Yeah. Yes. You need something to take your, your like kid brother to or your nephew or something like absolutely uh, girls, whatever. Like, I think everybody will enjoy it. Adults will like it just fine. Sonic 2, a little long. Otherwise, just fine. Can't wait to see Sonic 3. And with that, we should move into our final film uh, of the episode. Andy's going to be taking the summary on this one, and I'm excited <laughs> to talk about it because, like, God, Andy, I feel like most mo most movie podcasts would have gone and see seen Fantastic Beasts 3 this weekend, but not here. Yeah, not, <laughs> not here. Not, not, not the home of Bold Cinema. Uh, <laughs> God, right. this, this is something else. Anyway, please take it away. Memoria? It's, um, it's, it's like a rumble from the core of the earth. Uh, so this is a film from Thai director Apachatapong Wirasthakol. Very difficult name. Um, he has done a, 
he's won the Palme d'Or uh, before for a 2010 film called Uncle Bonmi, who uh, can recall his past lives. He is apparently well known. He is known as the high priest of slow cinema. That's a direct quote. Um, it's perfect. Makes quote, ve- by the very way, to describe <laughs> what's happening in this movie. Um, uh, this was supposed to come out, I think, probably a couple years ago. It was delayed by the pan pandemic. Um, it stars. Tilda Swinton as Jessica, who is an ac- academic in Columbia studying flowers, orchids, something like that. Uh, she is awoken one morning very early at the sound of this giant thud, this like bang. It just comes out of nowhere, wakes her up. And she doesn't know what it is. She thinks it's uh, construction next door. And she talks to some people and they're like, no, there's there's no construction happening. I, you know, I don't know what, what it was. And she begins to try to figure out what this noise is and she continues to starts to hear it more and more. At one point she goes to a sound engineer to, to try and recreate. And there's a great, great scene of her talking with him, describing the, uh, you know, it's like a, a concrete ball dropping into a well surrounded by water, uh, this kind of thing. Uh, and it's a very mysterious film. Where is this sound coming from? She's the only one who hears it. And what does it mean? Why? Why is she the only one? There are some other plot elements. Uh, her her sister is in the hospital; has been very ill, but not like permanently in the hospital. We eventually see her out. Um, and then then it gets, it's hard to say what it is past that because it's a little bit little bit like David Lynch, where uh, you know it's not so much a narrative film; it's not uh, about the plot making sense or wrapping up. And we see plot. A number of plot strands that start and don't really resolve, but it's um it's very mysterious. It's incredibly incredibly slow. I mean, we will have th- some takes are like I mean fi- f- 10, 15 minutes in per take, and it, within those takes, a lot may not be happening. A lot of it's about the sounds uh, of the rain and the birds and nature and all that. Uh, this movie is just it's kind of crazy. It's about a whole lot of things history memory which in in the title trauma evolution human it's a little bit it's got a little bit of that 2001 vibe where it's 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 about a whole lot going on it's very philosophical um with a great performance from uh tilda swinton so that's that's our film zach what'd you think of memoria man uh, i didn't know a lot about this movie going in other than the very mystifying trailer um, yeah, like you said about this woman who hears the sound and like can't unhear it deep in the jungles of Colombia, you know, and there's these shots in the trailer of like these big wide angles of the forest, just rolling hills. And there's shots of like these deep mines underground and Tilda Swinton, who is genuinely mystifying on screen, like talking about this sound that she just can't like can't get in her head and trying to describe it to a sound engineer who's like, what, what are you talking about? I, I don't understand. Like really interesting like really intriguing and and it's it's doubled by the way this film is being released uh uh, neon the distributor of this film uh, is running it as a roadshow exhibition it plays in one theater at a time uh in one city at a time week by week traveling all over the country and uh, indiewire said in october uh when they reviewed the film that apparently this movie is never going to be released for home viewing uh, it will not be available on streaming services. That's what they said. Uh, it will not be available on DVD or Blu-ray. The only way to see this movie is you catch it at a theater near near you when it's in your town, or that's it. And it'll only be one theater, and it's only shown to like individual times. So when we saw our screening of Memoria, it was not playing anywhere else anywhere. 
at least in the country. I'm not sure about right, overseas yeah. markets. It, like, yeah, I think it it is in like in the UK. It's been released, and it's I think it just kind of has a regular wide release. Right. I'm, you could probably order the DVD on Amazon, but like it's supposed <laughs> to be kind of this special thing here. It's also a bit of a gimmick for ticket sales because it's de- it's very unconventional. And I didn't know a lot about go- about it going in. I'd never seen anything from this director, but I thought, yeah, this will be something new. Let's check this out. My God, this is bold cinema. It might be the boldest we've ever reviewed. Uh, and when I was in, when I was in high, I'll, I'll be honest, when I was in college and I was learning about experimental film, I didn't usually go for it. I was like, this, this stuff's overblown. And at some point, like you're just blowing smoke. You're not, you're not actually doing anything of substance. And this movie kind of lands in that category. Cause it, like it, it, I, it, it did start to lose me towards the end. Uh, it, 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 they, there's some decisions here that are really, really, really weird. Um, but it's intriguing. Like at the same time, this I think this will be a movie I think back on sometimes and be like, God, that was something that was something different. And ultimately, it's, like part of the reason we do what we do is to God to see something new with the movies. And like I'll be honest, I've never seen anything quite like this. <laughs> yeah, if Coda is at one end of the spectrum of mainstream, Normal. family friendly, very accessible, this is at the exact opposite. Not that it's not family friendly or or inacceptable, but it is. It's very challenging, yeah. Um, and it's not uh, something that you would you would see every day, or that you would you'd have a hard time recommending to people. But uh, it's really haunt, haunted me, and it's it's it stuck with me. And like I was saying, funnily that that same night, um, my my neighbor like uh, either dropped something or knocked something against the wall and made a big bang sound at like one in the morning, and it immediately made me think of this movie as like, oh no, I'm, I'm hearing it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I've thought a lot about like what, you know, what does it mean? What, it, what is it about? And I mean, there, there's so many things, for instance, there is, uh, her sister tells this story. She, as, as her sister's kind of coming out of a, a days of being asleep, she tells us, she says she has a dream about, taking a dog to a vet and leaving it there and feeling bad about it. And then a little bit later in the film, a dog kind of follows Tilda Swinton around and it's like, well, what, how are those two things connected? And there's a lot of that kind of things happening in, in the film. Probably uh, what is about the midpoint of the, of the movie. There is uh, a dinner scene with her and her sister and, and her sister's uh, husband and, and son. And uh, she starts to hear the sound even more. It, it happens a lot in, during this dinner scene. Um, and it's also being, she's telling a story about this, or her sister is telling a story of working with this uncontacted tribe in the Amazon that no one, that they don't want contact with. And her husband thinks that this is actually a really bad thing and that they're actually putting a curse on her. And so there's this juxtaposition juxtaposition of when she hears this sound at its most intense is when this story of kind of invasion of a of a isolated tribe and so there's you know a little bit of a there's a lot of nature in this film going on that there's also lots of like construction projects going on and excavations and go on yeah no yeah there's 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 themes of like nature versus nurture in here right like man man versus mother earth like there's death there's grief there's 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 brain rot and infection and disease like at one point is 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 addressed like i i think probably my favorite way people i've I've heard of this movie being described up to this point was a bit like an art art gallery right or like an art art show and like you go to the gallery and you stop and you look at each painting and you just stare at each one for a minute and you go what does this mean to me what themes do i draw from this and that's fundamentally like how the film is shot and presented like when andy says uh, our wonderful director is 
a high priest of slow cinema. Like he's not kidding. These shots are like, like you said earlier, you know, five, 10, sometimes 15 minutes long. And it's not like a cool one-off, like a one-er from like children of men. Right. Like we're not seeing like an exciting handheld, like following the cam, you know, fo- following actors and a bunch of staging and framing. No, no. It's just a camera on a tripod not moving for like 15 minutes, dude. And that's a lot. <laughs> like, and I, I really discounted like what that would mean. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to look at this like unmoving shot of the woods for two minutes and, and like really, you know, like look at every part of the frame and take it in and like really just kind of develop a feeling for the image and like how it feels to you. And then it just goes to the next image. And it's a bit like, it's almost like a slideshow, like in, in how it's presented. But I I can't I'll be honest like I definitely did enjoy that for a, a large part of the movie like I really did get into it um it opens with a really unique uh reflection of the director's like notes and drawings like while they were on location mm-hmm. scouting like for film for, for the film in Colombia and it's entirely silent I think it's about a 10 minute sequence I didn't time it but um it's entirely silent and 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 that's kind of your your tester to get into the movie and i kept thinking while it was rolling i was like am i gonna see people just get up and leave like in the theater <laughs> Are people just gonna bail but um no i it, it was honestly a really thoughtful moment it's it's really meditative and that that that's a good it's a good introduction to what the whole movie's doing because the entire movie is that energy yeah, I, I was gonna comment on the beginning as well. It's it's a very, and, and some of the the drawings and kind of notes you can make out what what he's saying or drawing. Some of it's it's you can't really at all. You're just kind of open to yeah visual interpret- noise. Yeah, open to inter- interpretation. But that's what you know a lot of this film is as as well. Um, it's interesting. I, I watched an interview with the the director and uh, Tilda Swinton. Uh, and one of the things that they said was about the character Jessica. You know, the the person asked him, "Well, you know, how how did you how did you formulate the character? How did you come up? What was the process?" Uh, you know, those typical kind of actor questions. And they said, "You know, well, they didn't really because it's not really about the characters." You know, they said uh, Jessica is a predicament. Her situation is she hears this sound and she doesn't know what it is, um, and then and, and weird things kind of start happening. But you know, you, you don't get much more out of her character other than that. It's true. And, and Tilda Swinton is a large part of the reason I think a lot of this movie works. Like she's so perfect for this role. She's an executive producer on the film as well. So it's, it's not to say she was just randomly cast. I think they, she probably had her eye on it for, for a while. Um, and, and she is like, she's, she's, I mean, I don't want to say lightning in a bottle, but you just, you're, you're glued to her when she's on screen. Like when she, that she's the protagonist and she's our one kind of like grounding rod for the rest of the movie, because most of the movie is, is arguably subject to change. Like Jessica will experience something in the first act and then ask somebody about it in the second act. And they'll say, well, that never happened. Oh, that person you think is dead. No, they're alive. Oh, that person you thought you knew. We don't know who that is. Like she starts to, along with the sound starts to develop some, some, quite concerning like issues of memory and 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 what she can and can't remember she starts to think she might be going crazy until the swinton is like so perfect for that like not only does she have this kind of long slender uh, uh almost otherworldly alien often frame uh, as some other directors have directly referred to but um she's just i don't know she seems to lean into the character that a way in a way that not many actors and actresses can because these long takes require you to be pretty dedicated to, to the character and you're right she is fundamentally like a problem wrapped up in a wrapped up in a song but um you know when the camera doesn't cut for eight minutes you got to be on it like you can't 
you are that person for eight minutes like you you have to be in your scene and you have to be like totally totally engaged with what's happening on screen and she knows what she's doing like she she knows what this movie is and she knows how to lean in and it totally works i think a large part of it's because of her yeah absolutely uh phenomenal performance especially kind of in in the third act where Mm. Where uh you know we won't get into spoilers, but uh, she has really intense uh, scenes and close to the end, end of the yes. film. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have any thoughts on the end of the film, but it, it does. No, I, there was something else, and then I I did slip my mind. No, no. I, uh, I <laughs> uh, yeah, I can pick it up and run with it for a minute. Uh, the rest of our cast is pretty small, and it's shot almost entirely out in Colombia, as far as I know. I think they shot it all on location, and they go to some really interesting places. Like, not only are you in kind of a bit of a city there where she and her sister live, where she's helping her sister at the hospital, but or helping her sister recover. Um, but you get some forest, you get some woods, right? Some some jungle out, out there in Colombia, and then also, yeah, you get these wonderfully deep shots of these underground strip mining sections where there's people looking for minerals and just mining, I guess, general resources for the rest of the world and and keeping the top half looking pristine, which is really neat. But also, um, people finding fossils and bones. You got you got people hunting for artifacts down there. There's there's history. There's there's yeah, some really unique stuff, and and the movie doesn't always string these together in the most logical uh, format. Like often, these scenes are kind of just put together in a way that really invites you to just kind of interpret as you like, and then it'll just go to the next scene. You know, um, I I joke about uh, Annie and I going to see slow movies where nothing happens for for forty five minutes. And you're just scared, <laughs> and like, but like this, this one is like the closest you could be to that, and but it's not bad. It's it's interpretive. And you gotta you gotta know that going in. Like you, you gotta come in and resonate with what this movie's doing, or you're just gonna fall off and be bored. Right. I, I remembered my my thought from earlier. Please. Um yeah. uh, the director we're asked to call uh and Tilda Swinton had said that, you know, when they first made this, they kind of thought they were making a film about history, about the past. Um, but because it was so delayed over COVID and because of everything the world has experienced since then, they said this is actually it's about now is as much as it is about the past. Yeah. Uh, the title, Memoria, uh, is obviously the Latin for memory. Um, and I think that, you know, applies to the rest of the film. All the credits are in... I don't want to just say uh, Spanish. Is that... As, I don't want to yeah, just say Spanish it, yeah, and be it, off. It, yeah, it's I, largely I a Spanish... Speak, yeah. it's, it's largely a Spanish production. Yeah, and and like I, I'm I'm glad the 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 film kind of leans into that entirely. It's not all in English. Actually, a large chunk of it's in Spanish uh, with subtitles. Yeah. Which Columbia which submitted it as their their entry for the best international feature last year. It's a curious entry, um, and I, I I do wonder if some of the people that 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 were behind that decision understood what the hell's going on here. I do think it's probably the best film to come out of Columbia last year, but not because it checks all of the boxes it should to be the best film to come out of Columbia, Columbia because it's just so damn unique. I don't think I've, I've seen anything like this before. Like it really is its own. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's stuck with I me. Mean, and this is a good, like I said, compared like Coda was see it and forget it. And this has been, I've been thinking about this film since we saw it, you know, what does it mean? What, what is that telling? You know, what, what would you catch on a second viewing etc. cetera? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. Um, Oh, one more thing I do want to talk about. I want to talk about the sound, right? Yes. Really odd. Like you, you get it right at the beginning of the movie. Um, after after that whole intro of silence and like nothing, it's it's one of the first things you hear, 
and it like shakes the seat you're in. And I thought you're never going to hear that again, right? It's never, it's never going to play again in the movie. And I, I think you hear it again a few times, but it's great because you get this scene when she's trying to work it out with the sound engineer and they're trying to find it and they're going through like a, a library of VFX and like, just like the character, it's probably, it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Just like Jessica is, is trying to find the sound in her head. You're doing the same thing. You're like, was that what I heard earlier? I don't think that was mm. it. It kind of sounded like this, like, and that was a really neat journey, like to take with a character. I, I don't, I don't think I've seen that in a while, like where you're, you're trying to find it just like they are, but, um, man, the, the, the third act goes places, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I did not, did not expect for it. sure. Yeah, a little, little divisive, I think. Um, but uh, and anything else, Andy? I don't know. What are you thinking? I think I'm ready. Mm. Andy, would you recommend Memoria? I would say yes. I was, I was oh debating God, you this. Mad man. I, I would because I, I would, and and here's why. It it is. I mean, I will give caveats. It is. It is. Very long, it's two hours, 16 minutes. It is incredibly slow. Like I said, there's about, the opening is 10 minutes of not even, I mean, it's literally photographs. You're going to still shots, yeah. still still photos with scrawlings on them for 10 minutes with no sound. Um, it's, a, it's, you know, it's long, it's slow. It is meant to challenge you. But I also think if, if you don't recommend things like this to people, they'll never see it. Like if you don't, if you don't encourage people to see bold cinema then they'll never go and see it even if they don't like it at least they experienced it once so i i I would i would recommend it for uh the the curious those wanting something more looking for something experimental i will i will say it is uh i mean it is i mean it is accessible to most people there's you know there's not there's nothing violent there's nothing like sexual um it is but it is a very challenging film but i would recommend it if uh, if you think you're up for it man i think you're nuts uh i i guess i'd recommend it too like normally i'd say probably not like i i think it's too inaccessible i think i think if you're listening to this show and you're like hmm, i kind of want to know more like go check a trailer and see see if you can find it in town i think the reason i do rec- want to recommend it is simply because of its format like you won't be arguably i'm you won't be able to see it otherwise like if it's if it's in town and you can catch it i think maybe you should if you're interested in memoria go go catch it but just be aware like the movie the movie is resonating on a level that i think you have to you just have to kind of step to like cuz it's it's not going to it's not going to hold your hand like it's not going to it gives you a little bit at the start to kind of bring you in and then it it goes in its own direction also bring a cup of coffee cuz like if you <laughs> If you're like me and you get drowsy halfway through the movie, it's a pretty quiet soundtrack. There's not a lot of sound. Like you're gonna have to, you have to wake up. So uh, yeah, that's Memoria, a really odd film. Might might be might be the oddest we've ever watched for this show. I don't I don't know if we've ever watched anything yeah. as out, be, out there. As it belongs this. up there with you know things like David Lynch. Uh, I mean things like Cronenberg. Honestly, um, it's it's definitely you yeah. know experimental. It's it's something different. You'll never see anything like it. Yeah, just just remember slow cinema. All right, when you think of this movie, like just just think have that in your head going in, and I feel like you won't be as uh, surprised as I was. Um, I enjoyed it, but hey, man, it's bold. <laughs> and speaking mm-hmm. of bold, uh, Andy, what are we doing next week? So a couple of big titles, all on, all in theaters. Uh, the Northman, oh. Roger, 
Robert, Robert <laughs> Eggers. Eggers. Robert Eggers, uh, who of course previously did The Witch and The Lighthouse, um, his Viking epic with Alexander Skarsgård um, and Anya Taylor-Joy comes out this Friday. V- looking very much looking forward to it. Heard a lot of good things, and then interesting to see him. This will be his biggest film, much more mainstream. Uh, but hopefully also also telling a, a really interesting story. Also, uh, this Friday is The Unbearable Weight of Massive, Massive Talent, which is the meta Nicolas Cage uh, vehicle where Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage. Um, that looks like a lot of fun. We'll definitely be checking uh, that out this weekend as well. It's funny. I can't help but feel like Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is truly only going to work in the cage scenes because like everything else I've seen around it looks really okay. But like if Cage is on, that's your movie, right? Like that's that's all you need half the time. You just need Cage to turn out a really good performance with a solid director who can who can kind of rein that chaos in. And I think you got a movie. Uh, Northman looks all right. Have you watched the Red Band trailer, Andy? No, I've tried. I've avoided like everything besides what we've seen. <laughs> Me too. All I've seen is the one trailer we've seen a million times, uh, and that's that's I think the way I want to play it. But I, I've heard nothing but good things, at least from early reviews and people who have caught screenings. So. Uh, hopefully it's a pleasant surprise we'll be off next week i'm going i'm gonna be out of town unfortunately uh but we will return on the god what did i say here the third uh with these two reviews so keep it here on Oscript for more and if you like the video if you like the video if you like the episode today or the video which we live stream to facebook live or we upload on youtube after the fact if you like what we're doing here on Offscript, you can find us on facebook where we live stream the show every tuesday uh you can find our archives on youtube uh, you can find us on instagram we're on twitter we're on itunes google spotify iHeartMedia, media all the usual places you find your podcast if you like what we're doing and you want to support your boys here at Offscript, just subscribe subscribe to the show so you can get new episodes delivered straight to your phone every single week you can also leave a rating and review that'd be a huge help as well if you're already subscribed that's another way you can you know throw us a bone help us out a little bit maybe help us buy a movie ticket or two and uh you know keep it here on off script for more apologies about next week but i'm excited we watched a couple of really odd movies this week <laughs> god memorial is unique man and uh yeah. Oh, one other thing. Correspondence. My God. Uh, if you want to write into the show, if you want to tell us what you thought about these movies or maybe recommend something we check out ourselves, uh, you can check us out at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com and you can see our website offscriptfilmreview.com to find full episodes, clips, interviews, and other exciting things we're doing for the show. Uh, I think that's about it. So for the next couple of weeks, we'll see you from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.